0: Loved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. When people begin a new job, most just show up for work on the first day. But that's different for those who are appointed to a public position. Usually their appointment is marked by a special ceremony. For kings, there is a coronation. For presidents, an inauguration. For ministers of the gospel, an ordination. Usually, these are solemn but happy occasions. There is a recognition of the privileges and the responsibilities of the work that a person is about to begin. The newly appointed person is required to make a commitment, usually in the form of an oath, to faithfully carry out the duties of his office, and then the work begins, How different this was in the case of the newly anointed king of Israel. David had been anointed in a private ceremony in the presence of family and a few of the elders of the town of Bethlehem. He was designated by God to serve as Israel's king. Yet Israel still had a king. Saul continued to rule over the land. So David went back to his father's sheep. He had no idea of how the Lord would work to make him king. So this young shepherd just went back to doing what he knew best, caring for his father's flocks. David might well have wondered how real his anointing was. Would he ever begin to exercise his calling? By what route would he ascend to the throne? He may have been anointed by the Lord's prophet, but he was unheralded and untested. Saul was king, and he would remain king for about another decade. Humanly speaking, it seemed incredible that this obscure shepherd boy would ascend the throne and become king over God's people Israel. When we read our text, it appears to be a story about Saul getting sick and David being called to come and play music for him to relieve him from his distress. And yet there's so much more happening in the events described in our text. The Lord God is at work. The Lord is at work transferring power from Israel's first king, Saul, who had forfeited the kingship, to David, his theocratic king. Our text records a major turning point in the history of God's people. The Lord is at work establishing his kingdom in Israel. I preach to you the word of God under the following theme. The Lord confirms David as as chosen king over Israel. He does so by withdrawing his spirit from Saul, by placing David in the king's court, and by causing David to find favor in the king's sight. 1 Samuel 16 shows a massive contrast between David and Saul. That becomes clear when you compare verses 13 and 14, the last verse of the previous section and the first verse of our text. In verse 13 we read of Samuel anointing David as king. And then it says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. In verse 14 we read, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. The contrast between David and Saul goes far beyond these verses. If we look at the surrounding chapters, we see the same contrast. 1 Samuel 15 deals with the Lord's rejection of Saul. Chapter 16, 1 to 13, with the Lord's choice of David. Our text deals with the deterioration of Saul, while 1 Samuel 17 portrays the rise of David. The basic point is that the Lord is at work humbling the proud King Saul, and exalting the lowly shepherd boy, David. God is at work preparing the way for David to serve him as king. We need to remember the time period in which these events take place. Israel had suffered through the period in which the judges ruled in the land. That era was characterized as a time in which every man did what was right In his own eyes, because of his people's sins, the Lord chastised them. During the time of Samuel and Saul, the Philistines repeatedly harassed God's people. They desperately needed a godly king. A king who could lead them in God's ways, under whom they could enjoy God's blessings. When David was anointed king, God sealed his calling by pouring out his spirit upon David. That is always God's way. When God calls someone to office, he also qualifies that person by granting him his spirit. Our text says that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. God equipped David with his spirit to help him fulfill his office and calling. Contrast this with what happened to King Saul. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Why? Because Saul had rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord commanded Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites and all that they had. But Saul spared King Agag and the best of the animals... Saul's disobedience and rebellion were the cause of his misfortune. Because he rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord rejected him as king over Israel. This fact was symbolized by the Lord's withdrawal of his spirit from Saul. We need to take care how we understand the fact that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. The Spirit works in different people in different ways. He filled Bezalel and Aholiab with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, enabling them to work capably with their hands in the construction of the tabernacle and everything in it. Many times we see the Spirit of God coming upon people in the Old Testament to enable them to fulfill. A divinely given task. Thus the Spirit equipped Moses and Joshua as leaders of God's people. Aaron and his sons as priests. And Elijah and Elisha as prophets. The same had happened to King Saul. Samuel had foretold that the Spirit would come upon Saul. He had said to him that when the Spirit came, he would prophesy and be turned into another man. He told Saul, now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. 1 Samuel 10 tells us that when a group of prophets met him at Gibeah, the Spirit of the Lord caused Saul to prophesy among them. On another occasion, when the Ammonites threatened Israel, the Spirit provoked Saul to lead the people in battle against their enemies. Yet the spirit had never been given to Saul as a spirit of regeneration. Saul was never transformed spiritually from death unto life. His heart was not renewed in the sense that he was born again. And that he came to love the Lord. The spirit came upon Saul as a spirit of prophecy and as a spirit of wisdom for temporal rule, equipping him for his duties as king. While scripture indicates that God gave Saul another heart, it should not be confused with a new heart. God can send forth his spirit to lead and guide people in his ways without bringing them to repentance and faith in him. In Saul's life, the Lord had equipped Saul to rise to the occasion and provide godly leadership in a few specific situations. Yet because Saul's heart was not transformed, he did not wholly commit himself to the Lord and his ways. When Saul clearly showed forth his rejection of the Lord, the Lord rejected him as Israel's king. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. This evil spirit came back repeatedly to trouble Saul. Some ask how it is possible for the Lord to send an evil spirit upon Saul. We need to remember that the Lord is sovereign king, not just over the physical universe but also over the spiritual hosts of wickedness. Clearly, God is not the author of sin. Saul was responsible for his own sin. He forsook God, and therefore God forsook him. By rejecting the word of the Lord, Saul drove the spirit of the Lord away from him. And in doing so, he became prey for an evil spirit. For if God and his grace do not rule over us, then sin and Satan will have mastery over us. Some say that Saul suffered mental illness. That may be true. Yet scripture does not give us a psychological assessment of Saul, but rather a spiritual one. It was rebellion, rejection of the Lord's commands, and a refusal to repent that led to God's rejection of Saul, the withdrawal of the Holy Spirit from him, and his torment under a terrorizing spirit. We can draw some important lessons from this, beloved. The Holy Spirit can work in people without bringing them to salvation. Hebrews 6, verse 4, speaks about those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and who nevertheless fall away. 2 Peter 2, verse 20, speaks about some who have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ who again were overcome by sin. Clearly, the Holy Spirit can allow us to share in some of the benefits of the gospel without causing us to be born again. What's important in our lives is that we heed the Spirit's call, that we repent of our sins and believe in the gospel. How can I know if I'm a true believer? How can I know if I truly love the Lord? The Lord Jesus made clear in John 14 that those who love Him keep His commandments. This is the test that Saul failed time and again. Those who love the Lord desire godliness. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They put off the old self and put on the new self, being renewed in the image of Christ, their Savior. And when they sin, they'll not just be sorry, but they'll repent and turn from it to serve the Lord afresh. Beloved, our text should not make us fearful about our faith, The goal in speaking about these things is not to undermine your assurance of faith. When through the power of the Holy Spirit we believe in Jesus Christ unto salvation and the regenerating spirit makes his home in us, we may be assured that we are saved and that God will never let us go. Scripture clearly speaks of God's preserving care over those whom he has made his own in Jesus Christ. Jesus taught us that not even Satan is able to snatch us from his Father's hand. As believers, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Our text goes on to show how Saul's servants were uneasy and about the king's condition. They realized that an evil spirit was tormenting him. So did they suggest that Saul make peace with God? Did they ask him to turn to the Lord in repentance and in faith? Did they send for Samuel to pray with him? To intercede with God for him? No. Instead, they suggested that a man who had skill in playing the harp should be sought out. And then when a distressing spirit came upon Saul, the soothing music would bring him relief. Saul needed heart surgery, yet his court officials prescribed a sedative. Let us take heed. Beloved, pay attention When your conscience pricks you because you're sinning. Repent of your sins and seek the Lord. Give ear to the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Do not be like the Jews after Pentecost. Whom Stephen charged as being guilty of resisting the Holy Spirit. James 4 teaches us to submit to God. That we may receive his grace. It teaches us to resist the devil and he will flee from us. Our text shows us a massive contrast between David and Saul. The Spirit came upon David, but he departed from Saul. It was a sign from God. The Spirit was transferring his influence from the once-favored king to the now-favored king. The Lord is at work transferring power from Saul to David. For it's in this way the Lord would establish his kingship over Israel. It's in this way that he would provide deliverance for his people. This brings us to our second point. And we'll see how God further confirms David as king by placing David in the king's court. In Hebrew storytelling, authors use specific tools to highlight what's important in the history they are writing. One of those tools is to give a text a specific structure. Our text uses a chiastic structure. That means that there are a series of parallels between the beginning and the end of the text. And the thing that's centered between all these parallels is the key point of the passage. Let's examine the series of parallels contained in our text. Verse 14 speaks about the departure of the Lord's spirit. Verse 23b about the departure of the evil spirit. Verses 15 and 16 talk about a proposal for therapy. Verse 23a about Saul's experience Of this therapy. Verse 17 speaks about Saul's authorization to send for a harp player. Verses 21b and 22 about Saul's favor towards him. Verse 18 speaks about David's nomination. And verses 20 and 21a about David's arrival. The verse in the middle of our text, between all these parallels, is verse 19. And there we read that Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. This is the main point of the Hebrew history writer. Saul, the rejected king, himself sends for David, God's anointed king, to serve him at the court. What irony! that the rejected king unknowingly seeks to obtain relief from the newly anointed king. This irony is intensified by the words used to tell the story of Saul requesting David to come and serve him in his court. Please note the use of the word provide in 1 Samuel 16. In Hebrew, the, the word to see, is actually used. In verse 1, the Lord had told Samuel, I have seen that is provided for myself a king among Jesse's sons. In verse 17, Saul says to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. The author of this book is conveying a strong message to us. He's saying to us, Look at that. Doesn't that beat all? David is not only the Lord's choice, but also Saul's choice. Doubly chosen. What a confirmation that David is the Lord's chosen king over Israel. Saul didn't know when he gave the order for Jesse to send David to him, that he was inviting his successor into the palace. He didn't know that David was the very one of whom Samuel had said, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. It's marvelous to see God working behind the scenes, bringing his purposes to pass. For David, being called to serve in the palace would have been a test. He could not be sure that Saul did not know about his anointing. If he did, Saul may very well have been calling David to give opportunity to put him to death. So David's trust in God, his trust in the Lord's promises, was tested. Further, David was called upon specifically to deal with the evil spirit that was tormenting Saul. He was entering into a spiritual battle. Finally, David, as the Lord's anointed king, was called to serve. He, who had been appointed king over the land, was now being asked to serve the existing king. In the sense, David here serves as a forerunner of the Christ. It was the dire need of Saul that caused Jesse to send forth his anointed son. Likewise, it was a world devastated by sin that caused the father to send forth his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Jesse sent David not with weapons of warfare, but with tokens of his goodwill. In the same way, the father sent his son not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus, too, came to serve. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Like David, Jesus' anointing to office was followed by testing. Immediately after Christ's anointing by the Spirit in the Jordan River, he was taken into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. In both David and Jesus' ministries, the struggles and the trials they faced early on prepared them for their tasks later. We can only stand back and admire the wondrous working of our God. David had been called to reign over Israel. Yet the time had not yet come for him to occupy the throne. This unsophisticated shepherd boy needed training. Observe God's providential hand at work in allowing David to become familiar with court life. For a season he dwelt in the royal court, having opportunity to note its ways, to observe its corruptions, to discover its needs. God's hand was at work preparing his designated king for his future task. Beloved, there are also times when we undergo testing, and trials. We don't always understand why this is necessary. At times we lament the struggles we face. At times we even feel like God is dealing unfairly with us. We need to remember that God has a plan for our lives, and for the lives of all those around us. At times, he allows us to undergo struggles and sorrows to help prepare us for future service. So we may be well equipped to help others when they face struggles in this sin-stained and broken world. Don't rebel. When God allows you to undergo hard times, for he has a purpose in all he does. Trust. That God will also use the sad and trying things we face in life for the good of all those who love him. This brings us to our final point. In it, the Lord confirms David's kingship by causing him to find favor in the king's sight. Our text goes on to show not just God's approval of David, but also Saul's. David's ministry to Saul was very effective. Verse 23 of our text says, And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. God blessed David's service. He allowed his harp playing to provide Saul with relief. The net result is that Saul loved David greatly. So much so that soon David was more to Saul than just a harp player. He became Saul's armor bearer. Saul was so taken by David that he sent to Jesse saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor. In my sight. Not only was David chosen by the Lord and later chosen by Saul, our text makes clear that David was favored by the Lord and also favored by Saul. Again, there is some divine irony at work here. The Lord confirms David's kingship by showing that the man who would later seek to murder him actually loved David. He shows us that David found favor in Saul's sight. David was doubly chosen, doubly favored by God and the king. What a confirmation that David was indeed the Lord's anointed king, that through him the Lord would work redemption for his people. Through David, the Lord would provide his people with peace from their enemies. He would deliver his covenant people from the surrounding nations that harassed and attacked them. He would grant them a king to reign over them with justice and truth. There would be rest and peace in the land. The people would be able to enjoy the inheritance God had given them. Through David, the Lord would also bring about the coming of the Messiah, the great son of David. He would come to provide us with true peace. Jesus Christ came into this world to deliver us from our sins and misery. And today he rules over us as eternal king from the throne in heaven above. By his mighty power, he defends and preserves us from our mortal enemies the devil the sinful world and our sinful flesh he has promised us an inheritance in his eternal joy and glory beloved can you see that our text is more than just a story about Saul getting sick and David being called to come and play music for him to relieve him from his distress Do you see God at work establishing his kingdom in Israel? Do you see him working for the salvation of his people? Now, please consider our situation today. Are you aware of God working in your life and in the lives of those around you? Do you have eyes of faith? Do you see his hand at work in our midst? Are you resisting God's work in and through you? Or are you a willing instrument in God's hand, serving the furtherance of his kingdom? Let me be clear, beloved. God's work does not depend on us. He can accomplish His purposes in spite of us. The Lord is the living God of all the earth. As Almighty God, He can and He will accomplish all that He wills. Our text has shown us the consequences of rejecting the Lord's commands and refusing to repent. The wages of sin are death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, let us heed the call of the gospel, repenting of our sins and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. For then we too will find favor in God's sight, being being enabled to serve him in our lives, being allowed to share in his gracious blessings. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's sing together from Psalm 132, stanzas 5, 6.